hey, um, I'm not just drying my laundry out. A lot of times you guys might come in the parking lot and you see my baggies and rash guard kind of just hanging out there. That's because it's getting dry. And, uh, but actually, uh, when you see this from now on up here, that means that someone is proclaiming they're a child of God. And uh, where's Alex at? Alex, Alex, where's Alex? Alex, right over here. She is getting ready to make a public proclamation that she is a child of God. Um, Personally, I got tired of eating lunch. These, these pants don't dry out as quick as you think they do. And when you go in air conditioning, so, so yeah, man, uh, whenever you see this up here, that means I'm getting ready to put some baggies on, a rash guard, and that means that someone's going to get baptized. And what, what baptism is, and we've talked about this, uh, and what baptism is is when you stand in the water, it looks like, hey, help me out. What's it look like? It looks like a cross. And so it's a proclamation of, of what the cross is about. When I take you down under the water, it represents Jesus' death and burial. But do I keep you under the water? No, I bring you back up. And that's a good thing for you. Uh, and that represents Jesus' resurrection, which gives us power to live. And so, but what it'll be representing for Alex, she'll be preaching her first message. So are you ready to come up here and preach it? No, I'm just joking. That message is going to be out there. Your message is that I am dying as the boss of my life, because Jesus died and paid for my sins, and I'm rising to live a new life in the power of his resurrection. And so that's what she's proclaiming. So for you, if you've not been baptized, maybe you came here today and you're not prepared. You think you're not prepared? Well, here is you, and here's water. And uh, you can sit through lunch with wet clothes on if you'd like. But um, <clears throat> as long as you stand out there and you are, are uh, it's a truth of you saying that I'm dying to my old life and rising to live a new life with Christ. Uh, man, I'd love to baptize you. And um, so you just think about that. And there might just be somebody out here that needs or wants to or God's been talking about getting baptized. But we're fixing to go do it. So as soon as we're done, we're going to I'm going to go get change real quick. But we're all going to head out to the beach. And, um, and we're going to proclaim that message through Alex, all right? All right, where are my kids at? Kids, kids, you ready? You ready to go downstairs? All right, oh, with Terry. All right, you'd be a good influence now. No, I'm just not. All right, don't break anything, Terry, all right? All right, he's got his wife down there to keep him in line. All right, heading out. Go, 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 go. All right, very good. All right, you guys know a couple of weeks ago we started the book of Acts. We finished Philippians, we finished, finished Mark since we've been here, but now we started the book of Acts and we've only been one message into it. Last week we took a little break, went into 1 Timothy because JJ was ordained and we wanted to tell you what that meant and uh, also Keone was dedicated. But we're jumping back into the second part of Acts. And now, uh, if you remember from our first message in the book of Acts, help me out, everybody say, say God's given me, what is this? Power. Let me see your arms, man. Come on, man. Show me your guns. God's given me power. Now, this is the part I want you to remember. The power is not just so you can show up. The power is not just so that, you know, you can, you know, let everybody know you're important. The power is to be, do you guys remember? To be a poster child. All right. You are a poster child for God. All right. So everybody help me out. Come on, play along. If you're really tired, it's going to wake you up, man, and let your neighbor know if your deodorant's working and all of that. All right, are you ready? God's given me to be his. Isn't that cool to be able to say, I am God's poster child, man. I can think of a lot worse poster child to be, but God is giving you power. He told the disciple, he said, go wait in Jerusalem, 
And I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you power to be witnesses and here, there, and everywhere, according to what we're learning right now. And so, but we hear that word witness, and we're thinking, okay, well, I got a lot of, con some of you think of a couple of guys banging on your door, Jehovah Witnesses, and knocking on the door, and you're like, you know, you hide, like, oh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, nobody's home. How many of y'all ever hidden from Jehovah Witnesses? All right, so don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <coughs> How many of you ever driven by your house, and, oh, no, here they come, let's just keep going. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all have ever said, I am going to get in a theological discussion with them right now. I'm going at it. All right. Yeah, I, I could have picked you guys all out <laughs> in that. But, you know, that word witness or or if you come from a more traditional church background, that word witness sometimes is like, well, on Thursday night, we're going on visitation. And then that's our one opportunity to share the gospel all week long. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what it's talking about. The Bible is talking about that when we receive power, that power is for us to live the life, to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, but to deal with difficult circumstances from God's perspective. And we need God's power to be able to do that. And by us living our life with God's power, doing things we cannot do in the flesh, we are a witness. We are his, help me out, his poster child. Everybody say, I am God's. And yell it out, I am God's poster child. That is it. We are his poster child, man. And we're going to see that all through the book of Acts and how to become that poster child. Not in our own strength, not our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. God, he could make you happy in heaven. How many of y'all know God can make you happy in heaven? How many of y'all wish some days you were in heaven? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, honestly, this world's messed up. And if it was about your happiness, if it was about your satisfaction, if it was all about, you know, you having everything you wanted, man, God could take you to heaven and he could do it so much better there. But God left us behind for us to go through circumstances where we could understand how much he loves us and he could show us how much he loves us so that we would depend upon him and he could give us power to become his poster child. He let, and, and so that as we fall more in love with him and become that poster child, when we fall more in love with him, then we then be, we fall more in love with who? Others. Exactly. That's what he said in the great commandment. You know, they said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with everything you have, heart, soul, mind, all that stuff. He said, and then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. What's going to happen is if you love God, John even said, then it's going to be proven in the fact because you're, you love others. That's how you know you love God. You love God and hate people, you don't love God. <laughs> okay? You got to love God and he caused you to love others. And so that's why he's kept us behind. That's why we are his poster children. So we can then show people how awesome God is by the way he helps us through circumstances and situations in life. And so we're going to see that in the, in the birth of the church, in the initiation of the church. We're going to see what poster children for God really look like. And so we can like model them and become poster children for Christ ourselves. Man, how many of you ever tried to do some difficult stuff in your own power and known flesh? It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's frustrating. If only God can do it, what makes us think we can do it in our own strength? You cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. If it can be done, it's not Christianity. It's religion. It's not being God's poster child. So here's what happened. When they got, 
they got done, and they were told, you know, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? Go, go return to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, uh, the one to walk alongside us. And he said, now go wait there. And they're sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden, uh, in Bethany, he ascends. And they're sitting there looking at it like, oh, no, he's gone. And has Jesus come back to the earth at that point? Since his ascension, has he physically come back to this earth? No. In fact, the next time he comes, it's going to be the rapture, I believe. And the Bible talks about how the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So if you ever see graves busting open and you see souls coming out of graves, bodies coming out, of, not souls, but bodies coming out, dude, and you didn't go, you better ask Jesus into your life right then and there. Because that's what's going to happen. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And then we're going to rise with him the next time Jesus is visible physically here on this planet. So they were looking up and they're going, where are you? Jesus, Jesus. And then two angels came by and said, hey, what are you guys looking at? Don't you guys have your marching orders? Don't you know what you're supposed to be doing? Go to Jerusalem and wait. And go there, and you're going to receive the power. Jesus will come back, and he's going to come back the same way he left, all right? <clears throat> so here's where we, we jump back in, in verse 12 of chapter 1. So first thing they did is they returned to Jerusalem, all right? That's what he said to do, go to Jerusalem. So he did. They all went back, and they did that. They were obedient here. So here's what I want you to remember today. All right, we already know that God gave me power to become his poster child here there and everywhere, okay? You got that one time. Say that one time, and I won't make it repeated again today. You ready to help me out? God gave me to become his here, there, and, and everywhere, okay? But now this is the next part. Poster children, they pray. Poster children have peace because they pray and pursue God's plan. This is what we're going to learn today. Poster children have peace. How many of y'all would like to have peace in your life? Would you love to have some peace? Do you know that in the midst of the worst conditions this world has to offer, you can have peace? And it doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends on your walk with God, your growth with God. It, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Peace, pa love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. It's all those things if all my neighbors are nice. If all those circumstances are good. If there's no more bad news in the world, if this situation at work turns out the way I want, is that what it says? No, it says the fruit of the Spirit is. And if you walk in the Spirit, you cannot be satisfy, satisfying the desires of the flesh. It's one or the other, and it has to do with nothing but you and your walk with Christ. And so what, he's gonna, what we're going to see here is that these disciples, they had peace. They had peace because they constantly were in prayer pursuing God's plan. If we are focused on praying and, and being in contact with God, being in prayer, and our goal is not to pursue our own plans, pursue our own desires, our own dreams, our own happiness, but our goal is to pursue God's plan, then we will have peace because it's all going to work out. Remember the, 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 the prayer? They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray because when you pray, things happen. And how they start out, he said, okay, start by saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. God's got a plan. His kingdom is coming. Everybody know that? It's coming. It may not come in our lifetime, but it would be awesome if it did. <laughs> There's a lot of, it would be so awesome if it did. Thy kingdom come. And then he said, your purpose in that is thy will be done on earth, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that's your purpose in his plan? 
to do his will the same way people in heaven are doing his will right now. So you want to know, oh, what's God's will for my life? Well, it's to do what he wants you to do. You pursue his plan. Pursue it. That's what we're focused on is what he wants to do. Why did he put this situation in my life? What does, how does he want to use this for his glory? That's our purpose in all of this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what's the next part? you remember in that prayer? <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. Get, that's your provisions. Give me what I need, Father, to fulfill my purpose in your plan. That's what it's all about. Not, God, I'd really love a brand new four-wheel drive with giant custom surf racks on it. And I would love to have like a long board, a medium board, a short board, a couple. I'd like a place to change wetsuits. I, since they're taking away the showers at the park, I would love to have a custom solar water heater, man. And I'd love to be able to go anywhere and surf. How's that going to fit into God's plan? Believe me, if it does fit into God's plan for my purpose, if somehow that's his purpose for me and obeying him, then he'll hook me up with that. But you see, the provisions he wants to provide are for, to help us fulfill our purpose in his plan. That's what it's all about. And so, in what we're, again, what we're looking at today, help me out with this one more time, is that poster children have what? Peace, because they and they just pursue. They pursue God's plan. Have you ever pursued anything? What are some things you pursue? How many of you have ever seen a young person pursue another one of the opposite sex? You know, hey, did he pursue you? You pursued him? Yeah, what does that mean? I mean, you don't get too personal about it, but I mean, pursuing, is that just like, oh, I'm about my normal life. Oh, there he is. Hey, how's it going? Is that pursuing? No. no. What does pursuing involve? Okay, well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> when you are in pursuit of something, anybody ever been pursued by the cops? No, I'm just, hopefully not. But when somebody or something is pursuing you, that is their focus, right? That is all that, have you ever pursued anything? You know, you pursued something and you did all, everything in your power to make that happen. That's what Christianity is about. Realizing we've got this home in heaven and, and God wants us pursuing his plan. If we are praying, finding out what that plan is and actively pursuing it, what we know to be his plan, we'll have peace. That's what poster children do, guys. That's what poster children do. Let's take a look at this. First thing they did is they went to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Now, why'd they go to Jerusalem? Because who told them to go there? Jesus told them to go there. Well, for what? Well, you're going to receive the promise of the Father. Did he tell them when they were going to receive it? No, he just said, go and wait. How many of y'all love those instructions from God? <laughs> go and wait <laughs> indefinitely. Did they know when they were going to receive? Did they know how long they were going to be there? They had no idea. And in fact, I'm going to tell you, they were there 10 days. From the Ascension to Pentecost, which we'll talk about next week, they were there 10 days waiting on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn there were 120 people there. So we don't even have that in here right now, but can you imagine being in an upper room with 120 people? Okay, 120 people. And okay, so we're here, and you're like, okay, well, we came here to get this Holy Spirit thing, and i got to get on my life, right? No, dude, they're pursuing God, and they're all there. How many of you... After a couple hours, and say, hey, I'm going to come check back. Can somebody text me when he gets here? You know? <laughs> How many of y'all would make it one day? 
How many make it a couple days, a couple three days? How many of y'all would say, dude, I'm thinking after 10 days, I kind of gave up hope and I'm now pursuing something else? Honestly, anybody? Yeah, because we live in this instant society, but they were pursuing God's plan. Because that's what poster children do. They're pursuing. They're not giving up on it until it happens. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Because it's going down. And do you know that's true with every one of his promises? It's not a matter of if, it's when. And so they returned to Jerusalem uh, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. All right, so just so you know where they're at, west was Jerusalem over here. And then Jerusalem was, you know, a couple hundred feet above sea level or so. And then there's a valley that went. That's where the temple and everything was. Then there was a valley called the Kidron Valley. And then on the east side, it sloped up about 400 feet, 200 feet above Jerusalem. So you remember when they were having the big discussion about the temple and looking down and saying, oh, look at that beautiful temple, man, shining. Well, that's where that was the Mount of Olives. And that's where they were at. Now, just on the other side was a little village called Bethany. And Bethany was where the resurrection had happened. Bethany was where a lot of things had happened. It was close enough to Jerusalem, but private enough where they could do some things. And so that's where the ascension happened, was in Jerusalem there. And so now they were kind of coming back. Now, when it says that it happened, you, you notice that? A Sabbath day's journey. All right, a Sabbath day's journey was uh, a customary statement for, um, it's like a New York Minute. Anybody heard of New York Minute, you know, or some little thing like that? I don't even know what that really means. I just came here. But a Sabbath day's journey is about a half a mile. It's, it's 2,000 cubits. <laughs> and where they got that was when they first had the tabernacle that they built, Moses' day, all of that. The farthest anyone would ever have to travel on the Sabbath would be 200 cubits to get to the temple. So the Pharisees and all of their legalism and all of their ritualism and all their said, okay, well, 200 cubits or 2,000, 2,000 cubits is as far as you can go on a Sabbath day. It's about a half a mile. So they kept this, and it was not God's rule, but that it was just a, a, a term. So if you ever hear, uh, some next time somebody says, hey, how far is like the beach from here? Oh, it's a Sabbath day's journey. And then you have an opportunity to share with them all about being a poster child for Christ, right? You know, oh, it's a go a Sabbath day journey and then make another Sabbath day journey, you know, and half mile. Just take them by biblical terms, okay? And uh, you'll know when you get there. All right, so that's how far away it was. So they got there. And verse 13, it says, when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Now, the upper room, a lot of people believe that it was Mark's mom's house, and we might see indications of that later as we get into Acts. We really don't know where the room is. Why do you think God doesn't let us know where a lot of these things are? What would we do to them? If we knew that's where Jesus was buried, that's where Jesus did this, what would we do? Instead of worshiping him, we'd worship, yeah, oh, I touched the place where Jesus went to the bathroom. I touched, you know, it's like we worship this stuff when God wants us to worship him. It doesn't matter, dude. It, 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 it's not about the location, man. It's about him. And so it said when they entered this upper room, and now think about it, <coughs> this upper room held about 120 people. So it's something maybe about this size. 
and they were all hanging out. He tells us who's there. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These are, how many of those folks are there at this point? Eleven. Eleven, yes, thank you. Did you count while I was talking? No, I actually haven't counted before you. Good, man, that's awesome, yeah. No, I learned a lot about people's, like, personalities and temperaments, you know, and all of that. <laughs> yeah, they're not, because who's missing? Yeah, Judas. We're going to, we are going to find one of the most descriptive uh, descriptions, is that being redundant? Yes, of who, of what actually happened to Judas. It's actually kind of very graphic. So, you know, I hope you're not offended by it, but it's in the Bible. So there were those 12 that were there, or those 11 that were there. And look at this. I'm, I'm going to come back to verse 14 where it says, they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. But I want you to see who else is there. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These are his, his natural brothers that are mentioned before. Uh, James, the one who wrote the book of James and who became the leader of the Jerusalem church, he was there. And, and Jude, Judas, Jude, that was the guy who wrote the book of Jude. These two brothers, man, they mocked Jesus. Remember when Jesus came and said, oh, I'm the Messiah, and he made it, pro he made it public, and his own brother said, now I know we grew up with somebody who's pretty good, close to perfect, but you are not God. They denied him. They made fun of him. They even said he was crazy. And after they saw him in the resurrection, they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, man. Then they were sold out. They were all in. Even his two brothers had to go eat crow, and they had to come back and say, he is the Messiah. And he had two other brothers that was mentioned in that, in that little uh, thing, too. But it's kind of interesting that Mary, the mother of Jesus, who some people pay a lot of homage and worship and so on to, this is the, actually the last time we see her in the Bible. She's not the main thing. She said she's a sinner just like everyone else, and she needed a Savior. She said that when she was told that the Holy Spirit uh, had now given her a son and impregnated her. She had said that. This is the last time we see her in Scripture, period. We don't hear anything else about her for the rest of Scripture. But they were all there. But here's what I want you to see. Remember what I said? Anybody remember what our little thing is today that poster children have? Peace. Peace. Where do I get that from? Look at that. They all continued with what? No, no, before that, they all continued with, dude, one accord, man. That means that there's, there's a bunch of strings hanging down, and they all went for the one. I mean, that, that, the one chord, okay, if you want to remember it that way. What does one accord mean? Focus. Yeah, focus, unity, unity, one accord. It meant that Adam and his wife's hearts were both on the same thing as what his mom's heart and what Kathy and Bree's heart. It meant their whole, all their heart was after the same thing. And what was it that they were pursuing? It was God's plan. They were all in one accord. When is the last time you've had your family together where they've all been in one accord? When's the last time you've been in any group? After church. Here's a question sometimes. Hey, where do you want to go eat? How many are going to deal with that? Where do you want to go eat? <laughs> are you in one accord? Not only if everybody except for you says, well, I don't care. <laughs> but you know, okay, let's get pizza. No, we can't eat that. Okay, I don't care. What do you want to eat? I don't care. Oh, let's go get Chinese. No, I don't want to eat that. It's amazing how the people who don't care really do, but they just don't care to tell you they want you it's like a game they want you to figure it out or something i think <laughs> maybe they only know what they don't like but listen think about these people and what they're going through and the fact that they were in one accord what would it take to make them in one accord 
Now, think about it. Peter, you remember Peter? He had denied Jesus. You think anybody was still holding that against him? You think anybody was like trying to, you know, Peter is trying to be the leader. Do you think John, who's always, when you read the Gospel of John, he's always digging at Peter. He's always taking cuts at him because he's always kind of jealous of him. He really is. And we'll find that out in heaven when we meet them both. They're probably still sibling rivalry type things. But, but in this, they could have been picking on Peter. Peter, you big denier. You know, and then, well, you big wuss, you led me there. You brought me in. And they could have, you know, and Mary could be like, whoa, why is it all about you? It was my son that died, you know. I mean, literally, could there not have been less than one accord? <laughs> Did not everybody have their own cord and they could have been hanging on to their own cord? But instead of everybody hanging on to their own cord, which was their own desire, they were all hanging on to how many cords? One. Yeah, and that's not really what that means, one accord, but it's a good illustration, isn't it? They were all hanging on to the same cord, and that one accord, that one cord was God's plan. That's all they cared about. We're in Jerusalem. And what was it that made them hang on to that one accord? What was it that gave them hope? What it was is they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw him beat beyond recognition. They saw him lose every ounce of fluid in his body. They saw him brutally nailed to a cross. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They saw the, the, him put in a tomb, but they saw him come back to life. And it was like, dude, I don't know what's fixing to happen, but I'm not going to miss it. And that should be our perspective. As far as God's plan, it's like a lot of times we want to know what the plan is. Okay, well, the plan is this in a week and this in here. How many of y'all are type A and you have everything planned out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got it? Well, dude, sometimes that ain't working in Christianity because he, here, here's what the plan is. The plan is, dude, I know something awesome's going to happen and I can't wait to see what it is. Amen. That's faith. That's what he does. And so that's where they're at. They're up there. They're saying, I know he's alive. And that's pretty amazing that he's alive. He's resurrected. And he told us to wait. So I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Anybody have a good cook in their family? A really, really good cook. And then and, and, and they're bringing something to dinner, like a dessert. You know, they're like, he's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they brought. That's kind of like Jesus. They're like, I can't wait to see what he's going to bring. I can't wait to see what this gift is. So they continued in one accord. Now, what was it? So they had peace. That's what one accord means. It means we're not after our own desires. We're after the one desire, and that's God's plan. So what was a tool that they used? What was something they used that we are going to see all through the book of Acts over and over again? They continue with one accord in? Yeah, in prayer. Now, who are they talking to in prayer? Yeah, they're talking to Jesus. Why are they talking to Jesus in prayer? How did they talk to him before? Yeah, they're face to face. Oh, hey, Jesus. What, hey, what should we do? Oh, how are we going to feed? I, you know, Jesus, hey. You know, and they would talk face to face. But now Jesus is in their face to face. So how's the only way they can talk to him? In prayer. So they're still talking to him. <laughs> and they're still listening. They're still hearing. That's... You know, people speculate what they're praying for. They're praying for the Holy Spirit. They weren't really told to do that. They were just told to wait on it. They were talking to Jesus because he had been the one giving them directions all along. So they continued to talk to Jesus. And talking to Jesus is called prayer. prayer. Sometimes Dubs, man, the other Thursday night, I was like, Dubs, close in prayer. And he's like, oh, man, I don't know. And I said, Dubs, it's just talking to God. How many of y'all get nervous when somebody says, hey, would you pray for us right now? In public, I mean, how many of y'all are like, oh, no, don't make me do that. 
Let me see your hand. You're not even going to raise your hand because you're afraid I'm going to make you do it right now, right? Yeah, because I was. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But literally, because we're, we, 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 I don't know, prayer is just simply talking to God. However we talk to anybody, man, we talk to him. That's what prayer is. And what you're going to find out as we go through the book of Acts is that prayer is something that never leaves. You know, Paul, later, he talks about the, the armor of God, and he talks about all these defensive weapons of getting your mindset, all these things. And at the end, he says and that we're supposed to do it all with prayer. Prayer is like the hands that we put the armor of God on with. How many of y'all got dressed this morning? You're not like here in the clothes you wore last night? All right, you wouldn't admit that anyways. But So what did you use to get dressed this morning? You use your hands. Can you imagine getting dressed without hands? <laughs> That's what it's like trying to put on the armor of God without prayer. That's what it's like trying to do pursue God's plan without prayer. It's like getting dressed with no hands. Prayer is our hands that allows us to be able to do all that. You know, I've told you guys before, the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, and he was a Jew, and his purpose was to show the Jews that Jesus was king of the Jews. And so even though it has all other implications and, and applications, its purpose is to show the Jews he's the king of the Jews. He's qualified. Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. It was written to the Romans. It's the shortest gospel. And it's action-packed because Romans didn't care about lineage. They didn't care about the perfect man. They just cared, what can this guy Jesus do? And that's what he wrote. The gospel of Luke is the longest one. And Luke is a doctor. And Luke was writing to the Greeks. And the Greeks were looking at the perfect human being. You guys know the statues, you, got the, you know the statues, the thinker guy, and you know, and all, all those. They were looking for the perfect physique, the perfect mind, the perfect soul. They were looking to who the perfect man was. And Luke was writing to the Greeks to show them who the perfect man was. And do you know what you find in the Gospel of Luke more than you find in any of the other Gospel accounts? Prayer. Because he was showing that the perfect man has to be continually connected to God the Father. And the umbilical cord that connects us to God the Father, if you will, is what? Prayer. It's prayer. And you're going to see it over and over and over again. So poster children have peace because they pray. they pray. And they constantly are pursuing God's plan. Now this word, he says, in prayer and supplication. A lot of the older manuscripts don't have this word supplication, but supplication is just another word for prayer. It's basically supplication. I look at it as like a grocery list. You know, Christmas list. Anybody ever like, well, make a Christmas list, you know? It's a list. It's like, hey, here's what I need. Here's what I think I need. Here's what I would like. And do you know God wants us to give him a list? God would like us to let our needs be known, even though he already knows them before we know them. He wants us to tell him. And he wants us to be specific. Because then when he answers, is it any accident in our mind that it gets done? No, he wants us to to be able to ask specifically and have him answer specifically in all of this. So basically, it says that they continued in one accord because they continued in prayer and supplication. Husbands and wives, if you're ever duking it out, and they do, anybody, friends, you're ever duking it out and you're both Christians, I dare one of you to get on your knees and just start praying. <laughs> I dare you to tell your spouse and say, hey, let's get on our knees and start praying. It's amazing when you start talking to God how you can't duke it out with each other. <laughs> how you become, instead of two accord, you become one accord. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens, but I dare you to. But you know what keeps us from doing that? Our pride. To 
because I'm not giving in. God might even tell me to do something, do what they want me to do. <laughs> and you don't want that. You just want to present your argument so you convince God and everybody it should be the way you think it should be, right? But anytime you need to be in one accord, what can get two accords into one accord? Prayer. Prayer. I guarantee it can. And so anyways, go on to the next, next part. So here they're going to put it into practice. And we'll hit this real super quick, these next 23 chat verses. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a story of how they put this all into practice in here. Okay? So, uh, so again, poster children. All right? Poster children, they have peace because they pray and they pursue God's plan. So at this point, Peter stands up in the middle of 120 people. And he did this because God gave him the desire and ability to do this at this point. It says he stood up in the midst of the disciples and he said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. You know what scripture he's talking about? He's talking about the white elephant in the room. There were a bunch of people probably wondering, God, why did Judas do what he did? I mean, he's the only one missing. And, and it was pretty graphic of what Judas did in turning Jesus in and how Judas ended his life and everything. And nobody wanted to talk about it. You know those white elephants in the room? And that, that was it. Peter uh, got up and brought this white elephant up. You know, you know those people that always bring stuff up? And like, hey, we didn't want to talk about that. And Peter brings it up. He said this scripture had to be fulfilled. So what he's telling them right off the bat is he's telling them, you know why Judas did what he did? Because scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, you know what? That's good confidence to me because Scripture is a promise from God. And Scripture, if it's scriptural, it's not a matter of if, it's when. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so he's saying, guys, although this has freaked you guys out that this guy fell, he hung himself and his guts fell open and all this other stuff. And I'm not being graphic. You'll see it in a minute. He said, although all this is freaking you out, it's not an accident. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. Like all Scripture is going to be fulfilled. He said, this is a, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David. So it was in the Psalms. And if you want to go look it up, it's not even really evident in the Psalms. So God had to almost make this application relevant. It's Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, if you want to look that up later. But he says that the Holy Spirit gave this to David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. That's an interesting. I'm a tour guide. I'm a paddleboard guide. But this guy was a guide that took the army to arrest Jesus. And that's how he's known here. And look what it says. He was numbered with us and obtained a part of the ministry. This guy was full blown. He was in it with us, buddy. We went through it all. You remember that time that Jesus spit in the mud and rubbed in the guy? Judas was there. You remember that time that lady broke that vial of perfume everywhere? And Judas, Judas was there for it all. How could God let something like that happen? It was part of scripture. It all had to be fulfilled. He was numbered with us and obtained as part of the ministry. It says, he goes, in case you're wondering who we're talking about still, it was the man who purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. Okay, now Judas, if you remember what happened was Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And, he, and afterwards, he had such grief and guilt and remorse. You know what he didn't have? He didn't have repentance saying, I did a wrong thing to Jesus. He, he said, man, I just messed up my life. <laughs> Everybody, I messed up my life. That's where he was at. And so I have no hope in fixing my life, so I'm going to take it now. That's where Judas came from. So it says this man, he threw the money back to the, to the religious leaders saying, Woo, we can't put that in the offering. That's blood money. 
So what they did is down at the south end of Jerusalem, they bought a potter's field where the potters would dig up the clay and use that for doing stuff, and they bought it. It was worthless for anything except burying strangers. And so basically they used that money to buy that field to bury strangers. So it says this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity because it was his money that he had earned by betraying Jesus. And look at this, falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails, that's his guts, gushed out. Now here's what they say if you read Matthew's account, you read all the accounts of Judas dying. But Judas said, I'm giving up my life. I have no reason to live. I have messed my life up, so I'm done. What a selfish thing. He still could have repented, but he didn't. He was only concerned with himself. And so it says he hung himself. But church tradition has it that the tree broke. It was on a cliff. In fact, there's pictures in old church like murals and things of Judas hanging himself over a cliff. And when his body weight now pulled down, it broke his neck, but it broke the branch, and he fell down the cliff, and his body was just splattered on the rocks. That's church history of what happened, and there's a good indication that is what happened, because that's what Peter's saying. You know the dude whose guts were down there? The guy who tried to hang himself? The guy who wasn't sorry about killing Christ, but messing his own life up, because that's all he cared about? That's the guy we're talking about, but it was by God's design. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So the field is called in their own language, Akal Dama, which is Arabic for field of blood. Okay? So he's saying, all right, that's the guy we got to replace now. Go ahead, Ethan. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in it and let another take his office. Again, that Psalm, you can find that in the Psalms. And there's also some prophecy about Judas in some of the other Old Testament books. And you could go look all that up if you'd like, but that's what Peter, he's quoting scripture. Because when you're a, help me out, when you're a, a poster child and you want peace, you have to and pursue God's plan. Where do we find God's plan? Do we find it in prayer only? No, because what if we're praying and we feel God wants us to do something against scripture? <laughs> it's not right. What if we're reading scripture and do we do everything that's in scripture all at the same time? No, we pray so he can tell us what he wants us to do now. And so look where Peter's getting God's plan from. He's getting it from scripture, from the word of God. Prayer and the word of God go together. In fact, I challenge you to actually read the word of God and pray at the same time. I challenge you to not pray and read the word of God. Same. You can't. It's go, it goes together. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand it through prayer as you're pursuing God's plan. So there he's reading these, these psalms out and saying, here's what happened, guys. So this is God's will. Our goal is to, have, we're, is to pursue God's plan. And we're going to do that through scripture. We're going to do it through prayer. And the end result that we're just going to experience in this is peace, even in this crazy situation. So, Ethan, next one. He says, therefore, because we know it's God's plan that Judas did what he did. And by the way, did Judas make his own decision on that? Yeah. And could Judas have ever changed his mind at any point in time? Yeah. yeah. Could Judas even, as he was getting ready to jump off the rock and hang himself, could he have stopped and repented and said, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm putting my, myself in your hands. Could he have done that? Yes. But by his choices, it was spoken later about him that he would have been better off if he was never even born. By his own choices. But you see, God in his omniscience, omnipotence, his omnipresence, he knows all this stuff. 
And he is the perfect manager using it all to fulfill his plan. It's not that he made Judas do this. Judas did it, and it was all part of God's plan, if that makes any sense. God can take even your mess-ups and make something awesome out of it, beauty out of ashes. We're almost done here. He goes on, he says, um, Therefore, of those men who have, accomplished, uh, who have accompanied, us, accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us in the resurrection. So he's saying, whoever replaces Judas in this, now whoever replaces him has to be somebody who was there at the baptism, somebody who's seen his whole ministry, they've been with us, and they saw the resurrection, and they're going to become witnesses as we're supposed to be the whole way through. And so that's, that was God's plan for it that was revealed to Peter in all of this. And so go ahead, next one. He said, and they proposed to people. Now, they found him through prayer. They proposed to people, Joseph called Barsabbas, and, uh, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. So these two guys, basically, Barsabbas and Matthias, and they said one of these guys is the one that, we, that God wants us to replace Judas with. Now, one of the reasons they needed to have 12, um, well, the main reason is because God said. God wanted them. God gave them direction for the 12. But do you know it talks about the, the 12 apostles are going to be sitting on 12 thrones reigning the 12 tri over the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judas obviously couldn't be there because the Bible is very clear that Judas is in hell today, making hell also very real. And so he needed to be replaced. And so in this, verse 24, and, they, and what did they do? Right. Yeah. There's some people say, oh, man, they jumped the gun. Paul was really supposed to be that 12th guy and blah, blah, blah. You know what? At the beginning of the church, God was not going to let that happen. Paul stands in a category all on his own. There was another guy supposed to be here, and it was Matthias. And they prayed. How, what more can you do? And they said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. I'd read one commentator that said, well, they only gave God two choices. And I could see that. But don't you think if they were really seeking God's will, that God would say, oh, um, I got a third guy getting ready to come. I got another guy that could. You know what? God, what a better way to have God change your mind than in prayer. You know, who better to talk you out of doing something stupid than God? That's why when you're wanting to know what to do, you pray. Has anybody ever had God change your desire while you're praying? Yeah. Man, if you're ever getting ready to do something that's not right, something that's not good, and that's what you feel like doing, pray. Let God change your mind in this. He could have, but the... He said, God, which one of these? You know the hearts of everybody. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell. And look at this last part. This is kind of a sad little side note. That he might go to what? His own place. Where is Judas's own place? Yeah, that's his place because he chose that place. And that's everyone's place who does not choose Christ. It's your own place. You can't blame anybody. If you've been here and you've heard the gospel that Jesus died, who lived a perfect life, died, was buried, and raised again to pay for your sins, you've heard the gospel. If you go there, it's your own place because you chose that place. And that's what happened to Judas. But they were praying, saying, man, Jesus, show us which way to go. If you were physically here, you would tell us. Jesus, you're not. We're praying to you. We're doing just like you did with the Father. Help us know which the place is. 
and they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles, making 12. Now, it's interesting here, they cast lots. You guys remember, Carl and Val, you remember we were studying the, 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 the priestly garments? And they had a breastplate, and on the breastplate were 12 stones. It was like a pouch. And inside, they had two kind of stones or something. And what they would do when they had to make a decision was like, okay, God, should we do this? Should we go to war? And the priest would reach in and pull it out and say, oh, yes. Or he would go in and, no. Now, that sounds like a pretty haphazard way of trying to make decisions, doesn't it? You know, reach in your pocket and see which coin you pull out. Oh, you know, or see which key. See, that, that, but it's haphazard unless someone is directing the end result. And so up to this point, the end result as far as which, coin, which stone or which thing they pulled out depended on who. Who gave them that answer? God did. And from this point back in history of God's people, they drew lots. It was like rolling dice. It was like drawing straws. And God determined which one it was that they drew or how the dice landed. God determined that. Do you believe God's big enough? To make dice land a certain way? Do you believe it's big enough to make a straw bigger than the other? Make you pick the right one? Yes! And that's how it was determined. But listen, as soon as we come back next week, they're going to get the Holy Spirit. So do you think they ever drew lots again? Do you think that's how they were ever going to make choices again? Do you think that's how we should make choices? All right, should, you know, should we come to church or not? Come on, sevens, you know, it's like, you know, no, that's not how we make decisions these days, because after this, they get the Holy Spirit. Now, God Almighty is living inside of them and and they can hear from God. They can talk to God and God can speak to them back and they can do whatever it is God wants them to do. They don't have to do it again. But at this point, this is how Matthias was chosen. And you know what? Matthias, as well as some of the other disciples, you never hear anything else about him again, ever. But they were successful because they served the purpose God had for him. Do you know what happened to Matthias according to church history? Um, he was stoned to death. <laughs> he was probably preaching the gospel just like Stephen. And they would put you in a hole, you know, where you're, you know, a hole where you just had a little bit of room. And your head was up there and they just start throwing rocks at you. And they killed him. But not only did they kill him, but after he was dead, they cut his head off probably to parade it around as, you know, that they won, but they didn't. So that's what happened to this guy who got his lot drawn. But where's he at today? Yeah, dude, all expense paid trip to paradise. And the Bible says even the sufferings of this life, the worst things we ever experience in this life are nothing compared to the glory that will be there. In heaven, you, won't not, you will not even be able to remember the worst things you ever experienced here. So... What we learned the first week is that God gives us power to become his here, there, and everywhere. But now we learn that poster children have because they and they, fought, they pursue God's plan. So you want peace in your life. You want to be that poster child. You want your life to really people look at it and say, dude, that's God on that. You want to show people what God looks like? Pursue his plan, not yours. And find that plan through the word of God in prayer. And don't get distracted. And he says the byproduct will be peace.
Matthew 6, 33, and I'll end here. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and everything you need will be added unto you. That's peace, patience, love, joy, self-control, all those things if you seek him first. Let's pray.